Superman and Green Lantern. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Bass. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and Green Lantern from DC Comics Presents number 6, cover dated February of 1979. And Bass, uh, this is my earliest physical copy of an issue of DC Comics Presents. Really? That's not where I started buying it. 1979, I was 8 years old, there's no way. But I got it in a flea market. Oh, Nice. An old box? Some, I remember yeah, once yeah. somebody brought an old box of comics to my home here in Moncton, like a neighbor. Oh, wow. um, I, I've seen you read a comic. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they just brought me a box. Uh, <laughs> and the box had like some old comics. It may be from that particular box. I don't know where it actually comes from. Well, if that's the case, it's very, very cool. It's fun to just get older comics. When I was a kid, oh, yeah. I, I loved going into a flea market or something and finding an old 70s issue. To me, those were treasures because they were all from before my time. Of course. So, okay, let's preface as we do reasons why we like the guest character. And in this case, it's Green Lantern Hal Jordan. Let's keep it to him because there's a whole bunch of these guys, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. All across the universe, so <laughs> might as well stick with Hal. So what's so great about Hal Jordan? Well, you know, he's uh, he's that special kind of superhero. You know, he's a hero before becoming a superhero. He was a fighter pilot, test pilot, uh, the first member of the Green Lantern Corps from Earth. I mean, that's a big deal. We were seen as a primitive planet. I think we still are. Quite honestly, I, I must admit, also, I have a little soft spot because he was one of my first superpowers action figures. The first series that he had the little lantern in one hand and you pressed on his legs and the, the fist went up with the, the ring. It was great. It, he has that power set that makes a kid dream. You know, you, you can get one of these weird little, you know, like a ring pop or something and pretend that you're a green lantern. You know, so it's it's an awesome power. It, it uses your imagination. And, you know, as a kid, I had a lot of uh, imagination. Oh, it's also one of my first superpowers action figures. Really? I think if, if not <laughs> the first, it may be the first. I know that him and Aquaman were pretty early and yeah. I don't have that many. So I lost the lantern. I think that's... <laughs> well, everybody lost the lantern. I lost the lantern. And I am I right in thinking... Chris Franklin can back us up on this or infirm it if I'm wrong, but I think his ring is on the wrong hand as possible. Actually, yeah, I do think so. <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't have known that as a kid. You know, that's just later nitpicking. But for me, what I, I love about this this character is the look. I mean, originally, yeah. he didn't have the green shoulders at first. It was just like, you know, like a tank top. Uh, but regardless, he's got one of the most modern looking and easily adaptable, as we've seen across the many iterations of Green Lanterns over the years, of DC's main heroes. Like in the Silver Age, they've updated a lot of costumes, and some of the costumes still look, you know, old-fashioned. Like Superman has an old-fashioned costume. Yeah. It looks great. It's, it's you know, it's, it's the archetype for all others, but it doesn't look modern, per se. Whereas Green Lantern's costume does look modern. There's like I mean, the way it, it, it's not like the obvious shirt and trunks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so I always felt like that's why it's one of the reasons I, I picked up the action figure so early. It looks so good. It looks so cool, right? And um, and I think so the look, even though, and, and you may or may not agree with me here on the choice, but my favorite Green Lantern, once they started having multiple Green Lanterns, was never Hal Jordan. 
No, no. You know, like, as we'll see in his bibliography, he made some big mistakes that, that maybe <laughs> ba- made us sour on him. I, I know you yeah. love Kyle Rayner. Uh, I've always affected Jon Stewart. I do have a Green Lantern ring, a plastic one that I can wear, but it came with the first issue of Green Lantern Mosaic, which is a Jon Stewart series. So it, it's really Jon Stewart's ring. I like Rayner, but my favorite Green Lantern costume still is John. It's classic. It works very nicely. And it's still in the same theme. I, I love it. That's a bit why I'm saying, you know, I love the look, but I'm not talking really about the character. So I apologize to Hal Jordan fans. But he's always <laughs> like, especially once there are other Green Lanterns, his reputation becomes he's a bit of a meathead. Yeah. He's there for his butt. There's a lot of jokes about him getting hit in the head uh, in the comics, <laughs> or, you know, on in the blogosphere, etc. Because otherwise, he's kind of the base Green Lantern, yeah. and all the other ones seem more interesting because they contrast to him. So he needs to be there so that there are contrasts to him. It, it does tarnish his reputation a little bit, as we'll see in the publication history. Let's start on that. I'll go first. Green Lantern is one of the original updates of Golden Age heroes that ushered in a new age of superhero comics at the behest of editor Julia Schwartz. He was created by John Broom and Gil Kane for Showcase number 22. That's way back in October 1959, going off the popular heroic type of the test pilot that was prevalent in that era. After three issues of Showcase, it was deemed a success and spun out into its own title with Green Lantern number one, July-August 1960. It continued for 89 issues until 1972. Crucially, as of 76, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams took over the book and turned it into Green Lantern Green Arrow, making the two Emerald heroes wander through America and discuss topical and political issues. Green Arrow was painted as a staunch liberal, which put Hal in the conservative camp. The series was canceled due to low sales, and the story was finished in a backup in The Flash, which became the home of Hal Jordan. Then, four-year hiatus, but GLGA comes back in 1976, still by O'Neill, and then with different artists. Green Arrow drops out of the book in late 1979, so around this time that we're looking at today with DC Comics Presents. Number 122 is his last. In issue 181, after many contentious stories involving the Guardians, Hal tells them to take their job and shove it. And though Hal is still around as a civilian character, Jon Stewart takes on the mantle for a while. He returns to the role, I mean Hal does, in issue 199 in time for massive issue 200. After which the book is retitled Green Lantern Corps in 1986, and and then can focus on several GLs, working as a team, often on Earth together. The book ends two years later with issue 224. Then, soft reboot, Emerald Dawn, six-issue miniseries modernizing Green Lantern's origin, comes out in late 89, early 1990, leading to a new Green Lantern series with an older, wiser Hal with white hair at his temples, a series that also occasionally does story arcs for Jon Stewart and Guy Gardner, but it's mostly Hal's. A lot of important stuff happens to Hal in the 90s, right, Bass? Oh my God, so many things happen. <laughs> so many things. After Emerald Dawn came uh, The Emerald Twilight. That's a three-part series where grief-stricken and mad with rage, Hal becomes Parallax and uh, murders the Guardians and destroys the central battery. Parallax, also known as super-entitled, overpowerful Al Jordan, was responsible for Zero Hour Crisis. We have an entire podcast dedicated to Zero Hour, so if you didn't listen to that yet, well, 
go ahead and you can find it on the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network. During Final Night, the Final Night event, Kyle Rayner, the new Green Lantern, convinces Al to come back uh, to help against the Sun Eater, has a goodbye issue. Emerald Knight, where he tries to make peace with himself and his loved ones and then dies, defeating the Sun Eater. In a little time twist, though, Kyle Reiner teams up with Al Jordan again pre-Parallax days in issue 100 to 106. Al Jordan, a Green Lantern, battles Al Jordan Parallax, but nothing really comes of it. 1999, in Day of Judgment, a five-issue special series, Hal becomes the new host for The Spectre. And begins his long walk towards redemption. 2005 brings back Hal from the dead in the series Green Lantern Rebirth. It's a six-issue limited series. That's where we discover that Parallax was an entity, the embodiment of fear itself. Some kind of yellow deity of fear that was imprisoned inside the central battery on Oa. And that explains the yellow impurity weakness uh, of the Green Lanterns. From 2005 to 2011, Green Lantern ran for 67 issues with multiple events and crossovers, Infinite Crisis, Secret Origins, Rage of the Red Lanterns, Blackest Night, Brightest Day, and the prologue to War of the Green Lanterns. 2012 arrives and it's the new 52, but the new 52 will build off the previous series with 62 issues with once again multiple crossover events like the rise of the third army, wrath of the first lantern, lights out, uprising, future zen and godhead and that will take us to the DC Rebirth and a new series called Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps that ran for 50 issues. 2018 Grant Morrison took over with 12 issues of the Green Lantern, then Green Lantern and the Black Stars for three issues, and the Green Lantern Season 2 in 2020 for another 12 issues. 2020 comes along, and it's the 80th anniversary of Green Lantern, and that brings us to right now with the dawn of DC. Started last year in 2023, Green Lantern, starring Al Jordan, is up to issue 6 as of right now and counting. Green Lantern is sort of in this uh, in the 2000s and sort of the series that brought me back to reading comics because I was hearing about the Sinestro Core War and, and that was like just like you said Rage of Land or Red Lanterns blah 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 it, it just kept going it was sort of like a mini cosm of what was happening at DC where one event was you know merging with the next and the next and setting up the next and setting up the next etc which is still kind of doing right now but with Green Lantern it's like oh that's much more focused I would rather events be kind of focused on books that I want to read rather than be, you know, all over the DC universe. Of course. And the Sinistro Core War and, and the, the War of the, the, the War of the Light or whatever it was called, the, the, yeah. the emotional electromagnetic spectrum. I mean, it was generally in the Green Lantern Corps and, and Green Lanterns. Blackest Night did cross over with a lot of other uh, superheroes and also Brightest Day that brought back a lot of superheroes. Aquaman. Yeah. Not that it mattered because the, the 52 did, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, by that point, it's like the, Green Lantern was such a, such a success with yeah. the Sinestro Core War, etc., that it basically merged into, well, well let's just expand it. So Blackest yeah. Night is really part of that War of the Lights, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. But no, let's make it for everybody. And then, you know, comes out of that. So it's it's basically when something happens to Batman, it has to happen to everyone. But it was Green Lantern this time. Yeah, and it, it was really cool, too. Sinestro was always like the anti-Green Lantern, right? He had that accordion ring that was the yellow ring that was, you know, able to counter everything that Green Lantern could do. But Sinestro as a character was kind of... Kind of silly, you know. He had that little that little mustache, and you know he had that tall head. You know he was kind of goofy, but when he came back with the Sinistro Corp, and then building off fear that the yellow energy was connected with fear, all of a sudden Sinistro became a real tough baddie. I mean, he was the real deal then. I think Jeff Johns did a lot of work that was building on the past, but like, oh my God, that like this universe is so much bigger than we imagined creating like these different lanterns for each of the colors of the rainbow. Yeah. So it was an exciting time and um, I, I, I ate it up and then eventually, you know, <laughs> eventually, well, okay, now there's too much of it. <laughs> I didn't care about it anymore. You know what? I still have all these Green Lantern books. I, I collected them in trade paperbacks and, and once in a while, you know, I just go back to them just because it was so much fun. Sure. Um, I mean, even like when we're talking about, you know, Hal Jordan's not my favorite, even like the normally Grant Morrison, I would read everything they write. And um, I didn't finish that first season of The Green Lantern. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I didn't dislike it. I don't know. I'm not tapping into this character anymore. But let's see how it was in 1979 when we were young and uh, <laughs> Hal Jordan was cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before he looked like an uncle. Let me give a, a brief synopsis of DC Comics Presents number six. It's called The Fantastic Fall of Green Lantern, written by Paul Levitz, with art by Kurt Swan and Francisco Chiaramonte. When Green Lantern crashes into a Metropolis Press Club function and hands his ring to Clark Kent, the Man of Steel makes quick excuses and goes after Star Sapphire with double the power. But she manages to take the ring from him and escapes with an unconscious Hal Jordan to Zamoran for a shotgun wedding. Apparently, the Weaponers of Quard are behind this, and they didn't account for Superman in their plans. So, though the last son of Krypton catches up to Sapphire and brings her ship down on a planet, a weaponer secretly zaps him just as she's doing so, and he's down. Hal wakes him up and takes control of his ring, using it to fight her and reawaken Superman, who doesn't miss his shot this time, and destroys her tiara with his heat vision, turning her back into Carol Ferris. As GL takes her home, Superman stays behind to think about how he was overcome so easily which is when the Weaponer shows himself and announces he wants revenge. This one's to be continued. In uh, the last uh, DC Comics Presents, we, we didn't have it to be continued. We have a, hey, this is coming up, a teaser last time. But this time, this is our first uh, to be continued. Mm, I think the first one was to be continued because it was Flash, like a two-parter. But this oh, is yeah, the yeah, first yeah. time that we're going to go to another team up entirely, but following from the events of an issue. I think so. You're right. Before we get into the, the contents, we always look at the cover. Uh, and this one is by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. To describe it, we have Green Lantern prone on the floor. He is throwing his ring to Clark Kent, who is receiving a prize from a man in a suit. There's a big picture of Superman in the back on the wall, uh, in case you're wondering, hey, where's Superman? You know, that this is a Superman comic, yeah. even though there's obviously a logo. And uh, the text says, Hal says, take over, Clark. You've got to finish what I started. 
And uh, the caption says, and this marks a sensational start of the most Titanic team up yet leading to a shock-studded ending. Also, you could be a winner in the second Superman movie contest. Details inside. <laughs> and we are at the Metropolis Press Club Awards, according to the yeah. banner, like a thin banner here on the cover. Other than Green Lantern, who's in a very vulnerable position, <laughs> it's very crotch-forward. He's a bit out of shape there. He's, uh, he's, he's banged up. What I do like, though, is how a Clark Kent... I don't know if the first Superman movie influenced how Clark Kent was drawn, but we can really see, you know, like the, the body language on Clark is a lot different than we would see previously. He looks like he's off balance a little bit and he looks a bit uh, jittery, which is a cool thing for, you know, when we see we see Clark Kent. But of course, you have that Superman image in the background just to remind the kids that this is a Superman uh, comic. So. I'm not mad at this. Uh, I, I kind of like it. It's kind of cool. There's a lot of green. So we know it's Superman and Green Lantern. It's cool. I mean, it's supposed to make you wonder what's going on here. I just yeah. noticed Lois Lane is in the background way back. There's a little yeah. crowd there, very sketched in. And that's Lois Lane. So I, I should mention her presence. But it, there is a very odd perspective. You know, like yeah. Hal is huge. Clark Kent and the man giving him this award are a little too small for where they are in the frame. And then Lois Lane is super far back. Yeah. It's a cover. It's scrunching space. Yeah. But I think it does the job. I think it's not a moment of heroism, but it does ask the question, oh, crap, are we going to see Superman with Green Lantern's powers? Exactly. Exactly. Have you looked at the, you know, that man? Have you looked at his facial expression? <laughs> he does not look impressed. <laughs> No, well, they're ruining his event. Yeah, oh, he has that look. <laughs> to me, he kind of looks like uh, Inspector Henderson from later, or, you know, somebody like that. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. I guess he's supposed to be another journalist or someone who gives awards to journalists in any case. He's not as shook as Clark is. He's not as shocked as the audience is. He's just like, no. what the hell is he's this? <laughs> he's annoyed. <laughs> he's annoyed. Definitely. So uh, big picture, the story. It's a fun 1970s, you know, late 70s type story. You know, we don't really know why. And there's a lot of this. Why did they do this? Oh, it's because of that. And, you know, we have all this kind of mystery building up. And, you know, it puts Star Sapphire against Green Lantern, which is always something we enjoy, right? Because uh, uh, Carol Ferris is uh, the woman that, you know, Hal was in love with, but she always rejected him. But as Star Sapphire, she's always after him and she's in love with him and passionately and, and, and obsessively, actually. It's that story where she basically, <laughs> she kidnaps Hal to marry him, which is, uh, you know, that's a definite no-no. But you know. Yeah, it, but it does feel like a throwback to the 60s in the sense that this 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 whole Bridezilla thing is very Silver Age. You know, like like Lois Lane was always trying to trick Superman into marrying her or revealing his identity, obviously. And Lois Lane has evolved at this point. You don't get this sense from her in the 70s comics. But Star Sapphire, because it is like a sort of mental illness or the, the gem is controlling her, yeah, uh, she yeah. hasn't really evolved. So it's like, oh my God, what is this... Because Zum Boys, and we made this point at Ohak more not even, you know, in the, the past couple of weeks, in fact. <laughs> young boys, they think girls are gross and they don't want to get yeah. married. And, um, 
you know? So they don't want their heroes to get married. So all the heroes are always like, like, ooh, no, stop. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but we know grown men, we don't do that. Okay, let's go through the story and then pick up our notes. So it starts at the Metropolis Press Club. Right away, page one, there are banners of the Justice League hanging everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Which I question. What? what? <laughs> That's weird. Do they know that Clark Kent is Superman? Like, is that's what I thought first off the bat. I was like, do they know? Maybe the thing is, is that this is perhaps not a place, the Metropolis Press Club, because they've got a banner hanging. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So, like, this is a function of the Metropolis Press Club, and it doesn't really have a, a hall where you okay. can present things, right? It's probably just like a business office or something. So, so oh, or maybe they're in the vestibule of the Hall of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they they had the satellite at that time, I think. Uh, yes, there was. There's, I mean, even goes the satellite later. But you know, like like the roundels in the back during the TARDIS or something. But also the way <laughs> it it goes up, you know, yeah. it's like this may even be an exterior venue. Well, that's what I thought because Green Lantern just crashes in, but there's no crash before he whooshes in. That's weird because if it is an exterior venue, like a sort of courtyard, that's not a good place to have a, an awards dinner a press conference sure but you yeah. know a dinner where they're sitting down they have food <laughs> yeah they have coffee it's a it's a dangerous venue for birds you know birds rain crashing superheroes actually you know what it is an exterior venue where do you see it in page four we actually see the background and there are trees oh yeah in the first panel that's right you... it's an exterior yeah it's a little courtyard okay but they really wanted Green Lantern to just to crash without us thinking like exactly. he just went through a secretary or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the other weird thing, now we're on page two, let's say. Yeah. Clark Kent and Lois Lane are receiving, it looks like a Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, for their long and distinguished careers. Jointly. Jointly. And they do not work at the same media outlet, Bess. <laughs> like she's at the Daily Planet and he's at WGBS. Okay. So where are they going to put this plaque? How do they uh, share know. this plaque? That's a I, I that's a good question. There's a lot that's of monkey business of... at the Metropolis Press Club. I got to say they're not well organized. Where was Julius on, on this? Where was the editor with these questions? <laughs> was Julius drunk? Was that was that was that what's going on? Cuz I mean, I, I thought that was funny, but I also like the way time works in this comic. Because, you know, Clark Kent goes the, the usual Clark Kent route and becomes clumsy, knocks over everybody, Lois, and all of a sudden, Green Lantern comes crashing in, right? Right. So he's, he's basically, Clark has set it up so that nobody gets hurt. But because they all evacuate the podium and that's where Hal exactly. crashes. Exactly. Yeah. Clark bumps Lois. She has the time to say, Clark, you klutz. What a time to trip over your own feet. And then somebody else says, Clark, are you ill? Shall I call a doctor? And then he's like, no, I'm all right. And then there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a lot of people talking. And then Green Lantern crashes. But afterwards, uh, somebody's like, ah, oh, Kent, you saved the day because you were clumsy. Superman at that point is thinking, you know, with my super hearing providing the cue, I had almost a full tenth of a second to act. <laughs> there's six panels. Yeah, there's more than a tenth of a second. Yeah, that's a lot more. They, what are they working on? Are they on D&D &D combat 
time. You know, it takes 20 minutes for somebody to find the spell that they want to do. And then it, all that is like six seconds of play. This is very typical comics, obviously, you know, like long speeches and like somebody throws a punch, but there's like 20 word bubble, you know, word bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, everything else in the choreography here is for convenience's sake. You're asking, of course, why did the editor not ask these questions? Well, the, the answers are always for plot convenience. It needs to be outside for, <laughs> for Green Lantern to crash into it. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be a, a double award because we need Lois on stage at the same time as Clark for him to pull off the rescue. If they're getting it separately, it's not a thing. Yes, there are ways to make this work. You know, you bump into the award presenter, same thing, but then Lois Lane isn't part of the scene and you wander part of the yeah, scene. Of course. Yeah, of course. of course. We understand how comics work, but it is funny. So Hal, of course, knows Clark is Superman. Without revealing that, he gives him the ring and uh, basically passes out you know, on, on the yeah. on the spot. And then Clark Kent becomes Green Lantern. And that's one of those things because, you know, it, once again, it's because plot. But, you know, how does the mechanics behind the ring and the mechanics behind a lot of these uh, superhero antics is always a bit meh. If you try to explain how Kryptonite works in the movies, it never works the same way. But in this, all of a sudden, Hal has the ring, gives it to Clark and stays in full costume after he passes out like how does that work unless the costume is is real i mean you're right about the ring not always working the same like we know the ring can create constructs light constructs yeah yeah so that's yeah. that's that's an often used i mean that's what it usually is but it also has the ability to do anything you wish yeah it's a, a genie's lamp that's why it's a lantern right so it's a genie's lamp. I guess Superman has super willpower. Of course that's he does. That's how I explain it. And that's why he can, you know, think quickly and have, uh, you know, construct the, you know, red and blue Superman that looks like Superman to help Clark. There's always these little things there. Because there's not you, like you a go, green Superman that helps him, but it's a, it's an illusion. So casting an yeah. illusion doesn't need to be green. You know, one of the things that Hal often does is like fly through walls. Yeah. Without bringing them, like phasing. That's just like emulating any other powers. It does have those abilities, and we see them over the course of this story, that it can do anything that you think of, not just energy constructs. But it is kind of weird yeah. Yeah. when that is used, because at that point you're wondering, you know, what can't it do? If you've been reading the latest Green Lantern. I have not. He uses that ability that kind of, you know, throws you for a little bit of a, for a twirl. It works, but you have to remember that the ring has that ability to create these illusions that are lifelike. And it does so here. So, I mean, anything to protect that, that secret identity. So <laughs> as soon as oh, well, yeah. as soon as everybody's out of the way, he transforms into his own costume back. He doesn't want to look like a Green Lantern uh, or like Clark Kent. That would have been cool, though, to have the classic Superman with the green and, and black. It would have been cool if he... Had like an amalgamated costume. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, that would have been cool. And he flies to Star City, uh, which I was like, not Coast City? No, that's right. It's still he's still hanging out the green arrow. and. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Probably lives in Star City. Star Sapphire, perfect for Star City, is there on a, some sort of flying throne, I yeah. will say. And they have their first fight. I, I do love, we're on page six here, I do love a good Superman Unchained moment. So she chains Superman to a building. I guess those chains go all the way around. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he uses that ring to create wire cutters to cut through 
the chain. So I know it's not like busting it with his chest, but it's like a, a take on that on the on the famous image of Superman breaking his chains. Oh yeah, and and he was going to do that though. He was going to bust them out, but because he's so strong and so and the chains are so strong, he would have damaged the building and the building would have crumbled. That's why he used the ring. He was going to bust out, you know. But you can't do that if it's going to hurt people. So I, I love that moment. But afterwards, all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> Star Sapphire just wills the ring to come off and, and comes to her. Yep. And I'm like, what? What's going on? You neglected to will it to remain on your finger. Yeah. I was like, huh, what? Maybe Superman should have just closed his fist. Nothing's going to get a ring off Superman's finger if he clenches his fist. But, you know, he didn't will it on. So she got some practice with these power gems. She steals the ring, disappears, vanishes, and presumably here kidnaps Hal Jordan. And Superman can't find her. And oh, shit, I'm late for the six o'clock news. <laughs> That's so funny. He, he has to get to work. Yes, I'm dealing with a crisis, but, you know, I got to get it work. It's <laughs> And he's interviewing <laughs> Lois about winning her award. And he also won that award. I don't know. <laughs> I would have had some. Yeah, I can't believe that's top of the hour, first of all. I, that is a terrible top of the hour. It is. They also, they cut to commercial after the headlines. No. No, you don't give it headlines and then cut to commercial. Have you ever seen a news? There's never, they've never seen a news broadcast. But again, it, the plot. Uh, one yeah, thing I will mention before turning the page here on page eight is the weird thing, this whole issue, here Star Sapphire mentions her people, who we call the Zamorans. Am I right? Yeah. She doesn't say Zamorans. She says Zamorans. Yeah. And the planet is also named differently. It's Zamora. For us, it's Zamoran is the Zamoran. planet. It's Zamoran, the yeah. planet of the Zamorans, who sound like Amazons. Zamorans. But here it's Zamoran, and I could not find, and maybe this is, was like, I cannot find this as an original spelling. I searched, but I didn't really open any comics to find out. Maybe it's a typo of some sort. And or, it kept going. You know. But perhaps it is not a typo, and it's something that was changed over time. And then now all the online sources always say Zamorans because that's what's correct today. If anyone knows, let us know. Of course, comments, fireandwaterpodcast.com, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like Zamora, it's like a Conan thing, I think. So it's... <laughs> It just confused me. Yeah, like, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So back to the newsroom. And this is just basically to set up that the Quardians are listening in. Yeah. This is the just... people with the, the very dry eyes. <laughs> you got big eyes in the antimatter universe. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I, it's such a nice feature on these guys because eyes that are too widely opened are just creepy. I mean, and these guys are just creepy. It's even like popping out of the head, right? Oh, yeah. They're so big. So they're watching, and this is going to pay off next time in the next issue. But yeah. at this point, it's like, okay, I can't even tell what their part in the Star Sapphire plot is. Is there like they were going to get both those gems, and now they can't because Superman is in play. So they send a guy to fix it. And uh, they, they do... Well, there are some references here. This this does go back to some older Green Lantern comics. They mention Jippobax, quite a name, the Quardian from way back in Green Lantern number 15. That's 1962. Okay. And Kaiman, the chief weaponer here, uh, has eight appearances. So he first shows up in JL number four. So I think he's the original 
probably. And oh, wow. last appeared in uh, Guy Gardner Reborn in 1992. So he's appeared a number of times, but he just looks like everyone else. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Kind of all look the same. Uh, he's the guy in charge of the Weaponers, but they're also the Thunderers. And I mean, it's one of the, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, one right. of the elite groups, but he just looks like everybody else. He's the name they use when they want like a specific Weaponer. And he's the <laughs> one that's going to go zap Superman. So I guess he's pretty powerful. In space... Star Sapphire in a spaceship flying to, I was going to say Zamoran, but Zamora. And um, (laughs) she's uh, flying away. She's got Pal passed out in the seat next to her. um, And she keeps, I don't know, she keeps like throwing some beams at him. Keep him dominated. The whole spaceship is yellow, which is a good, uh, oh, yeah. you know, a good thing to have. Good catch. Except for the seats. Seats are blue, so he could, he could. But he doesn't have his ring, anyways. So she was planning maybe for a fight with him. So the whole, the whole spaceship is yellow, and you know, she was, she had some uh, planning in this uh, escapade there. Unbeknownst to her, Superman went to the JLA satellite. There it is, and plotted her possible course back to Zamora. Uh, so we have him there with uh, slides and rulers with a space map. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Probably did it in high speed, too. Yes, uh, we know how he works. And uh, so here he is, and he's like banging on the on the outside of the spaceship. <laughs> she comes out, and they have a space fight. Which is pretty cool. It's good. It's good. She throws a comet at him, and he, he blows it up and starts slinging oh, yeah. rocks at her, pebbles at her. Hal Jordan wakes up. But he's ringless. I guess Superman, okay, he's defeated her. He's going to slide the ring off her finger and he's going to take yeah. away her gem. Okay, we're we're down on the planet at this point. He brought it all down. You don't want to carol her in the void of space. But he's, he's hesitating. It's like every time he doesn't yeah. go for the gem and she, in time, wakes up to zap him. At the same time, he's being zapped by a weapon of cord and he's, he's out for the count. Yeah, and the zap kind of happens at the same kind of same time the weaponer has this one panel advantage which could be just like a 20th of a second i don't know oh but, yeah you're right yeah yeah, yeah. You, you can see like there's a yellow beam hitting him before yeah. she actually does it i would say that this is perhaps a coloring mistake I could. Be, I yeah. would want it to be blue, like her power. Like the gem is just above frame, and that it's probably the right angle. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, that's why it's there, right? It's there to lead us on. We don't know. We just don't know. We have to think. Maybe it's either way. He's being hit by two blasts at once. That's what got him. But while he's prone, the ring still tries to take a plier, a giant plier, to take away the star sapphire gem, and she destroys that. But it's like, wait a minute, how can Superman be doing this passed out? The answer is he can't. Hal Jordan has waken up and he's using the, the ring remotely and then he guides it back to his hand. So, you know, he's back in action. Uh, he's so clever. <laughs> he does pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's full of surprises. I like it. I mean, he goes from defense to, you know, to non-lethal offense quite quickly with a nice shield and then, uh, you know, very gladiator type stuff, you know, with the, the, the net he, he doesn't want to hurt her. I mean, he's he's in love with Carol. Yeah. I mean, she's a good villain for that because you can't go all out on that person. Oh, no. Because inside the villain is, you know, a beloved member of your supporting cast. And I like what you said there, Gladiator, because it wasn't his nickname, the Emerald Gladiator. Um, so using gladiatorial tools, while it's not something he did every time, it's like, oh, it feels like Paul Levitt's here writing this comic 
saw to that and said, oh, well, I'll use those tricks. Yeah. The shield, the net, the water faucet. <laughs> okay, that may, be, that may not be gladiatorial. <laughs> it's not, but you know. The Romans, they, they had stuff. They had like aqueducts. That. They invented running water, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to drown Superman or wake him up with water in his face. I never got that. I never has that never worked? I, never, I don't I it works in movies, I right? think. You splash water on your works. face when you're about to pass out or something? Uh, maybe, maybe. I don't pass out that often. <laughs> so you know I I've only done it once all the way, <laughs> all the way once. I've done it once all the way, twice, not all the way. I, I splashed water on my face. I <laughs> I didn't splash water on my face. I just I came back it's from it. Such a weird, it's such a weird conversation. Uh, I, I almost passed out all the time, the whole time. I, I did half, half, half passed Once out. Once where I fell and I had passed out. Once, twice where I, I was about to pass out and didn't pass out. Okay. Like I okay. brought my, myself back with mind over matter or oh. a splash of water. My. A, yeah, a yeah. psychic splash, water. Splash of water. <laughs> splash of water will do that. It'll do that. <laughs> Apparently. Putting your head between your legs is another one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. While you're sitting, not while you're standing. That's just stupid. If you, pass, you actually pass out, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah, just so back down. to this unnamed planet. Yes. Uh, Superman does wake up from the water. See, it works. It works in comics. He uses his powers to destroy the tiara. And then so the, the gem falls off. It doesn't just fall <laughs> off. He uses his super breath with suction action. <laughs> Like a straw, just a second. This one little jet, I would be so scared if I was Superman to just you know, go too far and just, and just, you know, you swallow. If Superman swallows this rock, I mean, it's going to take a whole 12 hours to pass. I mean, nobody's going to go get it because it's pretty big when you're in close up. If it gets stuck, yeah, yeah actually, um, then can you Heimlich Superman? Oof. Or would you need super strength to do it? Oh, well, at least Green Lantern is there. I mean, he could use the ring, but oh. That's true. Who Heimlich's Superman? Superman has to chew his food. But she becomes Carol. She passes out. Where's your faucet now? And, <laughs> and um, well, a good thing because she can't know she's Star Sapphire, maybe? I don't know. Does she know? Is she being protected I don't know from if she this? Knows. Green Lantern just flies her back to Earth with her passed out. Superman stays behind. Hmm. Why was I hit so hard this time? Let me stand in the same spot. Yeah, well, he doesn't know. And uh, the Thunderer, or the Weaponer, rather, shows up, zaps him with a Thunderbolt. Superman's down again. Yeah, these Thunderbolts, they pack a punch. I guess they're made of antimatter. Oh, okay, yeah, that'll do it. Next issue, Superman and the Red Tornado, trapped <gasps> in Ward, the land of ultimate evil. Ooh. That's how it ends, so... Uh, Oh, that's exciting. Oh, Red Tornado. For, come on. <laughs> In the antimatter universe. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, you know, because he could be fun, but I guess being on Quart makes him not fun, and that's how he stayed. I'm kidding. Red Tornado is awesome. We love him. I mean, just a second to talk about this uh, Weaponer. The Weaponers and the Thunderers are pretty similar. I thought Weaponers had all sorts of weapons and Thunderers used the Thunderbolts, but it seems pretty interchangeable here. I guess so, I guess, huh? I guess we got four months to do the research <laughs> yeah. before, before we do issue uh, seven. So final thoughts on this issue before we go to the debates. I, I enjoyed this simple story. I mean, it's nothing too complicated. It's fun to see. For some odd reason, I was reading a lot of <laughs> Green Lantern beforehand. I, I guess subconsciously I wanted to. And I really enjoy seeing this old Carol Ferris as Star Sapphire and then reading her again in, you know, uh, Blackest Night. 
Uh, it was nice. So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I like the goofy, you know, constructs. I like the space fight. So, yeah, I think it was a very fun issue. Uh, I mean, we don't know how to do a, a newscast, but it's comics. They don't have to do a newscast. <laughs> I think it's got some clever superhero action. The heroes have a good ideas. And, um, and you know, the plot is somewhat silly, but, you know, typical Bronze Age, which is which is fine. It's readable. It's entertaining. And I'm not asking much more than that. Who fared better, Bass? How well does this fit each of the characters' stories or atmospheres? Is this a Superman story or is it more of a Green Lantern story? Because it's all Green Lantern villains, but Green Lantern is unconscious for most of it. So what do you think? Honestly, I think it's a Green Lantern story. Just because the plot is really all about him and Carol and all of that stuff. It could be any other superhero instead of Superman that could be teamed up with Green Lantern and it would still be the same story. So I think it's a Green Lantern story. All right. I accept your logic. Cool moves. What is Superman's coolest move? Oh, you know what? I really enjoyed the heat vision and super breath suction moment. Mm. That was so cool because, you know, a while ago, Superman was training to fight Imperex. He was training with one of the Mongols and Mongol was saying, you know, you have to use your powers simultaneously. So he would, you know, use his heat vision and punch with ice fists that he did with his, you know, super breath and stuff like that. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. Superman should do like combos like that more often. And this is a very basic and and fun little combo. So I didn't, I really enjoyed that heat vision and super breath moment. Uh, it's good. I rather prefer the uh, punching the comet and the rain of pebbles that he's pelting Star Sapphire with. That's good. You know, outer space action. What about Green Lantern's coolest move? Staying passed out. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say his Green Lantern suit that stays on him even though he has no ring. I think he still has this little bit of control over the ring, even though he's passed out. And that's how I like to explain it. Yeah, I, I think the, the fact that he's able to control the ring when it's on Superman's body and make an effect and like confuse Star Sapphire with it. It's like, surprise, I'm, I'm, I'm awake yeah. and I'm still in control of the ring. I think that shows that kind of, you know, super willpower. And I'm, I'm going to call it his coolest move as well. Yeah. So yeah. if I ask... Who was the cooler of the two? I, I'm going to go Superman. Yeah, it has though. to be. And in this issue, he did not use his cape as a weird thing. You know, right. he didn't do like a space paper airplane with his cape or something. I don't know. He always used his cape in a weird way. And this time he doesn't. I enjoyed that. I, I believe this is Paul Levitz's first issue of this. So maybe he's not as uh, interested in, in it as Len Wein or someone yeah, yeah. possible. We have to keep an eye on this. Like it, they keep changing writers of course we, we kind of have to keep an eye on that dumb or weird moves what is superman's dumbest move <laughs> well you know what stopping the spaceship like he why would he stop the spaceship just rip the door open and go inside i mean it's star sapphire and green lantern they can survive in space i mean green lantern without the ring oh star sapphire wouldn't let him die i mean maybe superman didn't want to take that risk yeah maybe, maybe. for me he is being told by sapphire no less that he should take away her power stone as soon as possible. Like she's always <laughs> telling him, oh, well, you should have done this sooner. You shouldn't have waited. But even with his super speed, he keeps waiting too long. Yeah, yeah. Not like it takes forever. Yeah. It's basically last ditch defense at the end <laughs> that he can actually do it. And like you should have been able to do this a long time ago with super yeah. speed. That's why he always loses to the Flash in races. 
he's not that quick. <laughs> he's not as quick as he as we think he is. Uh, what is Green Lantern's dumbest move? Trying to drown Superman. I mean, I don't know if it's trying to drown him with the water faucet or waterboard him, but uh, you know, the water faucet in the face. Minimum silly. <laughs> it's yeah. I'm gonna go way back to the start of the story. Almost kills a bunch of people by aiming himself at the press club. Because do we think <laughs> it's Sapphire that did that? It'd be too much of a coincidence. I don't even understand the geography. If she's in Star City, how does he fall in Metropolis? Oh, wow. That's one hell of a... That's all of a home run yeah, there. Let's say that they were in orbit or something, and that's where he falls from orbit. Okay. He must have aimed himself at Superman. It's too much of a coincidence. So in other words, you're kind of crashing into a crowd of people, buddy. I'm going to call that his dumbest <laughs> move. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, what were you doing If now? Lois Lane had had that award all to herself, she'd be dead in the middle of a crater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's so sad. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, so conversely, I think Hal has the stupidest moves. Yeah, that was not a heads up move. No. Finally, the friendly farewell, team up tradition. How does this one rate? He goes, I got to take care of my ex, but thanks for the save. And and they're kind of both distracted, you know, in, in the way it ends. I did like, though, that Green Lantern does confide in Superman. You know, he he talks about feelings, which is not something I saw when I was alive in the 70s. <laughs> you know, it's not some he says he's, you know, my need to have my love return weakened my willpower. You know, he says he's he's. He's sad and 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 all of that. So I, I, I was like, ooh, this is wholesome for 1979, yeah. All right, we'll take a couple of promos. We'll be back with our special features. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. You've been asking for it, we've been listening. So by popular demand, Iron Lantern is back in action. In time for a major event, the Light Armor War. Green meets the rest of the rainbow as new armored cores are introduced. And they're not all on our side. In our first Christmas-coded issue, it's Green vs. Red as Hal Stark faces the rage-fueled Crimson Lantern. And did Madame Sapphire just get her own violet armor? Don't miss an issue of Iron Lantern's new series, only from Amalgam Comics. We're back. We'll start with our monthly feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect Green Lantern team-up. What do you have for us, Bass? Well, I was searching because Green Lantern is always teamed up with somebody. I mean, the the Green Lantern core is just that. I mean, it's a bunch of buddies with power rings. So uh, I thought maybe Green Lantern and Finn and Jake from Adventure Time. Because, you know, imagination. Al Jordan and Larflees, you know, Agent Orange, are having a space fight in an asteroid field near the soon collapsing star. Rings blasting 
Gravity pulling, outmaneuvering, the two ring slingers get caught in a gravitational well during one of those, you know, my blast versus your blast. And, you know, the, the beams that go with the big energy thing, it does that. And at this moment, it opens a portal and they are shot across time, space, universes, realities, and they appear in the land of Ooh. Green Lantern is found by Jake and Finn, while Larflees is found by Fern. The alternate timeline, Finn, who is envious and jealous. And Fern takes the orange ring. And now he becomes super powered with greed. Just starts taking everything. Larflees goes to Al. And Finn, Jake, Hal, they create this green candy corp. And Hal does these, you know, little buy rings. And, you know, and they, he creates rings for other people. And they, that's what he does. And everybody gets a Green Lantern ring. They fight Fern. Just to make it very dramatic, the only way to get back to Hal and Lars' universe is to get the orange ring back. I can see what you're kind of watching at home. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, well, rings, you know, it has to be rings. You got to do stuff with rings. I like your, like, lollipop rings, et cetera, idea. So for me, uh, Green Lantern and the Fellowship of the Ring. Ooh. Hal crashes into Middle Earth, accidentally takes out Boromir. But he promises him to go to represent the world of men, because of course he does. And he'll do like, you have my ring, you know, which is just confusing to the rest of the group. <laughs> but he's useful to the cause. Like Moria, pff, you know, easy suddenly. Until Sauron starts using the impurity in his ring to start whispering sweet nothings in his ear. Will the eye turn him into parallax? Oh. Well, you have to read it to find out. Oh, that's, that's nice. Right. Of course, it doesn't exist, but use your imaginations. Each segment of FW Team Up has its own flavor. With DC Comics Presents, it's called Whatever Happened To. And this time around, we asked, whatever happened to Josh, the WGBS news <laughs> stage manager? Like, Clark works this news program for years, and Lois knows him by name, but he never appeared before or since, as far as I know. Uh, whatever happened to Josh? There's an easy answer why... He was never there before or after is because Josh was a very professional and liked by everyone, including Lois, of course. But what we didn't know is that Josh works for a secret government organization called the Agency. The Agency is going to become eventually Checkmate. Argus. Argus. <laughs> He's there in the newsroom pumping intelligence to the Agency and semi-controlling what goes on the air. You know, he'll soon be transferred to another job in Gotham where he'll be working on more news or finding out who is the Batman. Hmm. Okay, so the way I see it, Josh was an intern at the Daily Planet before. Had a crush on mm -hmm. Lois. And that's fine. She's unattached, right? Then he got a job at WGBS when he got his degree. Again, perfectly legitimate. This isn't his first show, but he just doesn't have a lot of them under his belt yet. That's why we haven't seen him. Lois was a guest on the show here, and he, of course, went to chat her up. Clark hears this, but he'd never be jealous. Unfortunately, WGBS president Morgan Edge has instituted a very strict policy about employee behavior around guests. So Josh was fired immediately. Lois never heard of it because when Edge fires someone, he makes sure they never work again by sending intergang after them and trafficking them back to Apocalypse to work the fire pits. That's the end for Josh. <laughs> That's a... <laughs> Too dark? Well, <laughs> it's the twist I never expected. 
Okay, now it's time for listener feedback from our previous episode together in which we covered DC Comics Presents number five, starring Superman and Aquaman. Um, let's start with Bucky749 here. He always has an alternate team up for us. In this case, Aquaman and the alternate Justice League from the RWBY crossover series. Apparently, this JLA all have animal traits and Aquaman is part shark. He also throws in the Earth 2 Aquaman in there versus Black Manta, and it's all drawn in the style of Super Friends. Quite the mishmash, Bucky. Chris Pine says, I really enjoyed this one. It's such a fun issue, and it was a breeze to get through. Wild to think this old-fashioned kind of comic came out of the same year we see Frank Miller on Daredevil, Chris Claremont writing X-Men, and John Byrne working with the Fantastic Four. And then, on the same rack, there's this book that looks like it was published in 1962. That's 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 very true. Yeah, and he also says that DC always seemed like the cornier universe compared to Marvel. So that may explain that differential there during those those years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and finally, Michael Bradley says the difference between Laurie Lamaris's Atlantis and Aquaman's Atlantis was actually first explained in Superboy and the Mermaid from Atlantis by Jerry Siegel, Kurt Swan, and John Forte from Adventure Comics number 280 back in, uh, what's cover dated January 1961, which means it came out in 1960. So there was an explanation out there way before this one. Thanks for finding it, Michael. Yeah, that's cool. And thanks for teaming up with me, Bass. Uh, let me reveal that the next time we speak, we'll be covering DC Comics Presents number seven, Superman and Red Tornado. Oh my God, I am so excited because, I mean, I love Superman and you something Red Tornado. I don't know. I, Red I don't Tornado know you... is my Hawkman. <laughs> well, if, yeah, okay, so you just don't get it. I get Hawkman. I get what he's about. I don't get why people like him. You know? Similar. So I guess that's the same thing yeah. for for Red Tornado. I can't wait to do this with you. A reminder that we do have a Patreon. If so, if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. This month, we're proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, The Bold Outlaw. We also enjoy reading your thoughts, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Com. We'll read your comments on this issue when Bass is back with us, but next month the cycle begins anew, and I'll be here with Shag as we continue his coverage of Marvel Team-Up with issue 145 of that title. On that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort.